the story of Christmas is beautiful. And I don't know what your, what your background is, where you stand in life. Some of you I know are going through some very difficult times health-wise, in relationships, um, with jobs. Um, I want you to know that Jesus is truly good news of great joy for all people. And we want to talk about that tonight. This season in many churches is called Advent. I grew up in a Methodist church. That's what we call the month of December. Any of you familiar with Advent? It means arrival or coming. It means Jesus made a journey. And so we've been talking about that journey, the Christmas journey. First, we looked at his journey from the eternal realm. See, Jesus was here from the very beginning, and yet he, he came at a point in time to earth as a baby in a manger. But he didn't stop there. His journey wasn't complete, just being born. He had a journey to complete on this earth, to go to a cross, to die for our sins. That's why he came. But that's not even the end of his journey. His journey continues because he wants to move from the pages of history to a place in your heart. His final destination, believe it or not, is controlled by you. Because whether or not he gets to that final resting place in your heart will be determined on whether you open up and let him reside there or not. And so we're going to look at a couple Bible characters today of the Christmas story and how they reflect all of us in this room. It's found in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, he writes, excuse me, Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with them. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem... In the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Two main characters, the Magi and Herod. How are they alike or how are they different? Well, let's first look at their mindset. I would describe the wise men as curious, curious. Now, a lot of your Bibles call them wise men instead of magi, but magi were a class of people from ancient Babylon or Persia. And history, uh, or legend, tells us that there were three wise men, but we don't know that for sure. Um, I actually heard there was a fourth wise man. He wanted to bring fruitcake and was told to stay home. <laughs> but actually, there, there could have been many, many wise men in this entourage, and along with them, the support staff that traveled, because they traveled hundreds of miles, many, many weeks but these were curious men because their whole life had been involved in studying the ancient writings and also the stars. See, astrology in those days was not something where people read your horoscope to figure out whether you should gamble that day or, or go on a date and, and, and this was your lucky one. Astrology was really the study of the stars because they believed that the maker of the stars would speak to them through the constellations. And so there was something about this star of Bethlehem that intrigued them, that made them realize this is the moment when the, the promised Messiah 
that the Jews have been longing for has come. And even though they weren't Jewish, they must have known the Scriptures. Maybe it was when Daniel was in Persia, because Daniel was part of the class of Magi. And maybe he told them about this old prophecy from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that says, I see him, but not now. I I behold him, but not near. A star will rise out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. A star will arise. And they believed that this star had come at this moment in time. And so they followed this star to a home, not a manger. The story's often told wrong because they, they never went to the place where the shepherds were. They actually came when Jesus was a little toddler in a home where Joseph and Mary were raising him. And it says they paused there to worship him. These men were curious, but Herod was, was very different. Herod was cautious. He was king of Judah under Roman authority, and history tells us that this man was known for his intrigue, for his violent temper, but most of all for his uh, massive building projects. He built a great temple, Herod's temple, which occupied acres of land. He built uh, fortresses that he could escape to in case they were attacked, fortresses like Masada or Herodium. His dad had converted to Judaism, and so Herod grew up with the Jewish faith, but really didn't embrace it. He didn't know the scriptures that well. He knew just enough to be considered Jewish, but not enough to be considered an example. And so he often frustrated the the Jews that lived in Judea. He didn't know the scriptures, so he had his own wise men look them up for him. He, He called the teachers and the scribes and said, when was that Messiah to be born, and exactly where did it say he was to be born? And they said he was to come out of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was only five miles away from them, a little rural village, sort of like if we would consider Elbert, maybe that's a little more than five miles away, but a little village, a little, little rural community outside the big city. That was Bethlehem. That is where this Messiah was going to be born. Now, he said that he wanted them to go find Jesus so he could go and worship them also. But he never budged. He never followed them, never showed any interest. In fact, his teachers and scribes, they never followed the Magi either. And it makes you wonder why. Because for hundreds of years, they had longed for the coming Messiah. Their scriptures had said that God would send one to be their Savior. Why not when when they heard the news that he had arrived, weren't they excited? You know, I, I scratched my head to think, how could that be? How could they be, be so near to the truth and, and yet not accept it? And then I, I realized how easy it is to, to pursue tradition rather than truth, to make our religion a system of rituals and habits and practices and feasts and celebrations more important than the person behind them. And that's exactly what they had done. The God that they were to worship got pushed to the background as they had their holy days and their Sabbath days and their hand washings and all these other rituals that they practiced. They started to forget the God that they were to worship. And so when God showed up in the form of his son, they weren't ready to receive him because they had their religion. And I find that so true today just with Christmas. When I was a kid, we actually sang Christmas carols like we just sang tonight in public school. And now we we just all across our society are almost forbidden to say Merry Christmas. And we have to say Happy Holidays for fear of offending someone. When the reason we have the season is Jesus. Now, we have all of our traditions. Black Friday, lighting of the candles and and hanging lights, decorating the trees, baking Christmas cookies, white elephant gift exchanges, elf on a shelf, Rudolph and Frosty. We have all of our traditions. 
And for many of us, we've forgotten Jesus. In fact, there are many people in our culture who will, who will participate in Christmas this year and not even utter the name Jesus the entire time. Isn't that strange? Because that's what the season is really all about. Christ miss the worship of Jesus. And that's what happened to them. They love their traditions more than they love the God of their faith. Well, there's another difference between the Magi and Herod, and that's in their intent. The wise men came to worship him. They adored Jesus. What does the word adoration mean? When I was younger, I'm going to date myself here, but I liked Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons when I was young. And when Frankie Valley learned to walk like a man and go out on his own and begin to sing solo, he had a song called My Eyes Adored You. It's a song about uh, this little girl that he grew up with and how he'd carry her books to school and fantasize that one day they would be husband and wife, but their, their lives went different directions. And here he is later in life kind of longing for those old days, and it reminisces how his eyes adored her. You know, adoration in many people's minds is simply admiration from a distance. But that's not the adoration that these men had. Their adoration was actually very tangible. They actually physically got down and bowed before Jesus. Adoration is an act of worship, of lifting up Jesus. And that's why people often bow in worship, is because when you bow, everything else gets lifted higher. And so in our faith, and in many people's faiths, the act actually of physically bowing is part of worship. It's not so much singing songs or even uttering prayers, but the posture and the, and the inner desire to recognize there is someone greater than me, and I am surrendering my life to that person. I am honoring him as a higher authority. These men who some sing, sing about them as these three kings of Orient, they are, they are bowing before a king. In the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he's pursuing the Holy Grail. At the end of the movie, Indiana Jones has to pass three tests. He's got a series of clues, and he's trying to interpret the clues to know what he's to do in this cave filled with dangers. And so he's walking along very, very um, tenaciously, and he's reading this, this phrase that says, um, only the penitent will pass. And he's trying to think, what does that mean? What does it mean? The pen, only the penitent man will pass. The penitent man, the penitent man. The penitent man is humble. The, the, humble, the humble man, kneel! And he kneels, and whew, this like razor blade whirls over his head, just about to decapitate him. And the whole mindset of the penitent man is humble, and the humble kneel. You know what the opposite of that is? The scripture calls a proud person stiff-necked. And what it means is he cannot bow because he's too proud. His neck will not move, but the humble person will. I don't know about you, but many of us have never, ever physically bowed to Jesus. That's a good thing for us to do, to acknowledge that he is greater than we are. They came to adore him, and so they presented Jesus with these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, very profound gifts. Now your typical toddler gifts, because Jesus, again, is... is maybe one and a half, two years of age, and they're bringing him gold, which is the kind of gift you'd give a king, frankincense, which was one of the fragrances they used in temple worship, those that they used for anointing the priest. Myrrh was used also in anointing, but, but also myrrh was used to be a fragrance that covered the dead so the body wouldn't stink. And what they were acknowledging is something very profound, that this little boy... This little toddler is one day going to be a king, serve as a priest, and, and have a very significant death. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. 
Mary had been told that he would die for the sins of the people. This was an expensive journey, a long journey. Took so much time, cost them a lot in the gifts they gave, but they, they felt it was worth it because they came to worship. But Herod, what was Herod's intent when he heard the news about Jesus? He went on the attack. He attacked Jesus. From the moment he found out, he had no intention of going to worship Jesus. The reason he told those wise men to come back and tell him the whereabouts of Jesus was because he wanted to kill him. We learn later in the Gospel of Matthew that actually he ordered that all the little boys, two years old and under, be executed because he was paranoid that amongst them was the one who would one day rise up and take his place as king. So he went on the attack. And, and really, if you know Herod, that was, that was really the whole pattern of his life and the life of his family. See, Herod is an Idumean. What I mean by that is his background was he came from the tribe of Edom. Edom traces his historical roots. This is a quick little lesson here. His historical roots go back to a man named Esau. Esau had a twin brother named Jacob. And they and their families went very different directions. Jacob became the son of promise. And he, he was chosen by God to nurture the nation of Israel. And the rest of the Bible tells the story of the nation of Israel. Esau's family line became Edom and all the Edomites. And they became very pagan, very worldly. And it wasn't until Herod's father was forced to become a Jew that Herod's family came back in line with Judaism. But again, they never embraced it. They never really believed the truths that they were taught. Now, one of the promises that Jacob and Esau were given was actually given to their mother. She was told by the Lord that the older son would serve the younger. The older son, the one that was born first of the twins, Esau. Esau was born minutes before Jacob. Yet Esau, all through his life, was second fiddle to Jacob and the nation of Israel. And so now we have the son of the line of Edom being challenged by the son of the line of Israel, the younger one, the child who's going to rise up and be king. You know what I think that, that the thing that bothers Herod is the thing that bothers you and me? We don't like it when someone else wants to have authority in our lives. This thing of control is something you and I hold very dear. And we don't give control to anybody except someone we really trust. And so when God comes along or Jesus comes along and says, I want you to trust me, we fight against it. In fact, I've known people who have all kinds of, of arguments why they're not Christian. Too much suffering in the world. Uh, the church is full of hypocrites. The church did some really bad things to my ancestors. I mean, I don't believe the Bible. It's full of errors. Honestly, those are all smoke screens to a bigger issue. Because when, when they're putting those arguments out, behind those arguments are usually this argument. I still want control of my destiny. God can be a consultant to me, but he can't be captain of my ship. But see, you can't have Jesus as king of your life and remain on the throne. You've got to step off the throne to allow him to come in that place. When you receive Jesus as Lord, you're handing him over the keys to your life. Say, it's now yours. You get to choose the direction of my life. I need to tell you this, because for two decades of my life, I was like that. I was, I was the one calling the shots in my life. But I've realized this. Now that I've been a Christian for 35 years, what God wants for you is so much more than what he wants from you. That when he asks you to give up your life to him, give up control to him, He's not going to mess it up. He's actually going to bless you in ways you never dreamed possible. That's why Jesus said, whoever loses his life for me 
will actually find it. A life more abundant, a life that's eternal. So who are you most like? Are you more like the wise men or more like Herod? See, Herod was someone who had all the advantages. He was so close and yet ended up being so far from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He grew up with the scriptures. He grew up in a community where God was talked about, and yet he never took a step to find Jesus. I find that true in many of our lives, that, that we're, we're content to have a religion that doesn't have a relationship with God. I even grew up telling everyone I'm Methodist, and I had friends who were Catholic, and I had friends who were Lutheran, and all these different churches. There are people all around the world that have their religion. Religion is something you do for God. Religion is something you can control. Religion has a little place for God in your life, but you get to confine where that place is, whether it's Sunday mornings or or certain periods of your week or calendar year. Maybe it's Christmas. Maybe it's Easter. I get to confine God there, but that's where he fits into my religion. But a relationship is a daily encounter with God. It's listening to his voice. It's seeking to hear him. I know that sounds a little weird, but God really wants to speak to you in a, in a quiet, subtle way in your heart. He wants to speak to you, and he wants to lead you down a path. He wants you to follow his will because his will is good for you. And yet so many of us settle for religion instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you tonight, he wants a relationship with you. Don't miss out this message at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. It's as if God came all this way to us, all the way to the door and says, open up. I can't force my way in. You have to open up and let me in. And what is it that keeps us from opening that door and letting him in? The Magi were very different. They were so far and yet closer than they ever realized. They didn't grow up with the scriptures. They didn't grow up with the church community. They didn't grow up knowing what Herod knew. And yet, when they first heard that message about Jesus, they got so hungry to find out more. And some of you are like that. Maybe your parents never told you about Jesus. Maybe maybe your church experience wasn't real great. That's okay. It doesn't matter how far you've been. You can get really close quickly. And I know that because God says all you have to do is, you don't even have to step. You just have to reach for him. You just have to extend your arms to him to receive him. And to all who received him, he says, he gives the right to become children of God. The Bible says that God made this whole world and made every single person that exists on this world. He chose the times and the places in which they lived. You didn't get to choose to be born. You didn't get to choose what family to be part of or what country you'd be born into or what time period, but God did all that. Why did he do that? Well, he answers that question. In the book of Acts, 17th chapter, it says God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Did you hear that? He is not far from any one of us. He is not far from you. You may think he is, but he's not. That all you have to do is turn and you will find him. You don't have to go on this 900-mile search like the wise men. You do have to open your eyes. And really, the reason you find him is because he's been looking for you. Jesus said he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's like a, like a parent who watches their child wander off in a crowd, and, and you watch your child from a distance. You're not going to let them get out of your sight. 
But as soon as your little son or daughter starts to get that, that panic look, you know what I'm talking about? And they start to freak out like they're, they're all alone and they start to look around and they know that mom or dad isn't near, you come out from out of nowhere and stand right beside them and they turn around and they grab your legs and they go, I found you. You weren't lost, were you? Now, all along, you found them. You just waited for them to turn and reach out and grab you. I think that's what God's saying to us today. He's not far from you. If you would just reach out, you would find him.